What's up, everybody? It's Chris Denman, one-on-one today with author Ben Westoff. We're live in Grand Center in St. Louis, Missouri, midcoast.media. For more information about our studio and the show, we are live. Very excited to bring on uh, our guest. He's wrote a very intriguing book that we're going to dive into. It should probably mean a lot to us here in Missouri and uh, the U.S. as a whole. Ben Westoff joining. We are live. Ben, how are you, sir? Good. Thank you for having me, Chris. Uh, I was I was looking over things and uh, I, I know you've you've put out several books and they're very <laughs> intriguing topics to say the least. Uh, fentanyl is uh, is the big topic right now. It feels like throughout the country, your book Fentanyl Inc. it describes how everything has come to the point we're at in the U.S. It involves China, Mexico, labs, Germany, everything you could possibly think of that's uh, almost out of a thriller uh, film. But before we dive into all the crazy stuff, you yourself have lived in St. Louis for a little bit. We've worked with some folks at the Riverfront Times before. What brought you to St. Louis originally, man? I came here to go to college at Wash U in 1995. And you've loved it ever since. Yeah, I mean, I've left. I've lived in L.A. and New York since then, but I always find myself coming back. Well, I'm, I'm proud of you to, to make this place home. It's always fun to get an outsider's point of view. I mean, you are from the Midwest, but I always find St. Louis to, I don't know, I think it picks on itself a little bit and it there feels like uh, there's some fear of the outside. So what's, uh, I, I got to ask too, what's your thoughts about, uh, I mean, you've been here long enough. You're a St. Louisan, but did you get any of that feeling uh, being from the outside, I guess? No, not so much. I think it's a pretty hospitable place. Um, it takes a while to learn about the culture of St. Louis and the, uh, you know, the ins and outs. There's a lot of knowledge people here take for granted, you know, a lot of it having to do with um, the, perhaps the Catholic Church and parishes and things like that. <laughs> uh, I'm sure there's a, a book that could be uh, came up with with some of that information, but I, uh, I digress. Fentanyl Inc. Um, I wanted to say, great job. I saw you uh, on the Joe Rogan experience. Um, and then your, I guess, just push recently, getting the book out there. Um, what makes you, as a journalist, want to start this, I'm sure, super arduous, uh, almost, not even almost, dangerous process of covering a topic as controversial or as terrible as fentanyl? I had a friend who was from St. Louis named Michael Schaefermeyer. He was a DJ, actually. He played with a band called Logic that was kind of blowing up here for a time in the early 2000s. Um, he died from a fentanyl overdose in 2010, and that was back before most people even knew what fentanyl was. I certainly didn't. Um, but it wasn't until years later when I was in L.A., researching why so many people were dying at raves. I was the music editor at LA Weekly and investigating this topic. And I found out that there were all these new drugs that were just coming onto the landscape that no one had ever heard of. They were all synthetic, meaning they're made in a lab and they all came from China. And a lot of these were the drugs that were killing people at raves. And then there was another one that was even more deadly, fentanyl which was killing more people than any drug in American history, it turned out. It quickly passed heroin and meth and crack and everything else. And it continues to this day. And it's such a lethal epidemic, but 
there wasn't a lot known about it. So I really wanted to plunge in and figure out what was going on. It, it's still, I mean, they need to get your book if they want to know, I guess, the history behind it and the, I guess, the different ways it has come about. But um, I do see in some of the talking points that you guys have for that, it was was K2 coming from the same labs? I remember, I'm 35 and I, just, I remember some of that happening and people being like, oh, this yeah. is a great thing. And it's, it was uh, a terrible thing, right? Right. K2 is part of this crop of new drugs that I was talking about. And K2 and spice are sometimes known as synthetic marijuana, um, but they really don't have anything in common much with marijuana at all. They're, they're not a natural plant. They're, they're made in a lab synthetically. And the, thing, the, the crazy thing about K2 is that it was sold legally in stores. I think that's probably what you're talking about, like 10 years ago or so. It was in head shops, you know, um, gas stations, even all over St. Louis. It was being pushed as like almost like, oh, it's better than weed or you won't pass. uh, You won't fail an employee drug test or something like that. Exactly. And that was a lot of its popularity. It didn't give you sort of a mellow high like weed. It was made your heart race and, um, you know, you could overdose and die. But but people liked it because it was super cheap. It was legal. And as you said, it didn't show up on drug screenings. It, it's one of those things where I have zero problem with weed or marijuana or whatever we're talking about. I just don't really smoke that much, but occasionally have. Somebody had that stuff and I'm at like, uh, like getting ready to go out or something and then smash cut to like I tried it and then it's four in the morning and I'm waking up thinking there's somebody in my house. Like it was, uh, oh, wow. it, was not a, it was not a good experience. And again, I just chalked it up to, well, I don't really do much. So that's probably what it was just being inexperienced. But I've, I, I did smoke it and I realized afterwards, I'm like, that sounds like what it would seem like. And again, ignorant, but it was almost like what you would think of like as a PCP thing would, would. Yeah. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm not surprised to hear that at all. The problem with these new drugs like K2 and like fentanyl is that the dosage is almost always unknown. So mm-hmm. even if you're buying these packets at a head shop or whatever, like you might have or whatever happened, um, the the dose it's not like regulated at all. So one packet might have a totally safe benign dose and the other will make you overdose. And with fentanyl, it's even worse because it only takes two grains of rice worth to overdose and die. And so you can barely see the amount that it takes with the eye. And when drug dealers are cutting it up and mixing it up, they there's no quality control at all. It, so I, I guess just to dive in, so again, it's uh, Fentanyl Inc. You guys can get it, Amazon, and I tagged Ben's uh, Instagram if you guys check that out. Um, so when jumping into the book, I'm sure you learned a ton of horrific things. I'm sure you were surprised by plenty of things. As far as the motivation, um, again, did a little bit of research, and I believe you'd said 1959 and some of the research, like we're talking about, like a, it was at a German lab. I just want to know where this got started and what was the original, I guess, motivation, and then what has that transformed into now? Fentanyl was invented by a Belgian chemist, Belgian. Uh, yeah, in 1959, and it was marketed and sold as a, far, you know, as a pharmaceutical grade hospital drug. And 
it still is used that way for like when uh, women in childbirth receives uh, epidural, that's fentanyl. Um, when men get a colonoscopy, they're given fentanyl and it's available as a pain patch and, and even a lollipop. So it's an important drug and it's used legitimately all over the world, you know, mm -hmm. uh, all the time. But the, the fentanyl that's killing people is not the same, it's not made and distributed in the same way. It's all made in China and it doesn't go through these legitimate pharmaceutical channels. So um, after it was invented in 1959, it, it, it existed as a legitimate painkiller for decades and decades before it really jumped to the recreational side. And that only happened in about the last five years or so. Um, it, nobody saw it coming, you know, even the DEA, all these organizations thought it was too powerful. It was caused overdoses too easily, so no one would want to use it. But they didn't anticipate that it's, it's being used mainly as a cutting agent. It's, now, it's, 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 a lot of people die from it without even realizing they've taken any fentanyl because it's cut into heroin, it's cut into prescription pills. Um, heroin is uh, very expensive to make. It's a natural plant from the opium poppy, but fentanyl can be made quickly in a lab. So it helps drug dealers sort of increase their profits. So it simply just comes down to that. And it's the, it's the I guess, flavor of the week in regards to deadly things being cut into, I guess, illegal drug trade i mean does this does this problem and again this is the third wave of an opioid crisis correct yeah the opioid epidemic started with the prescription pain pills like oxycontin from purdue pharma and also you know malincrod based in st louis made something like 36 billion opioid pills at the height of the crisis more than anyone else and once people's prescriptions ran out a lot of them turned to street heroin. That was the second wave of the crisis. And, and now you can't, can hardly find pure heroin anywhere in places like St. Louis. Um, it's all been caught with fentanyl, and that's the third wave. It's absolutely insane whenever you, you kind of hear that. And it's almost diabolical from what you discovered in, in regards to where it's coming from, because it's not like you can just kick in the door at a lab in Illinois and a bunch of scientists are in there making it. It's coming from China and then making its way to Mexico. Is that correct? Yeah. And so I actually went to China and I went undercover inside a pair of fentanyl operations there. And uh, I wanted to really get to the, ben. you know, that's the type of reporting I do. I go way, way, way deep. Uh, and I, um, I went... I, I pretended to be a drug dealer and I started communicating with these labs. <laughs> Sorry, over... I'm, not, I'm picturing you just like with like sunglasses on and like a very obvious <laughs> leather jacket or something like that. Like just trying to be like a character that somebody from China would expect an American drug dealer. To be like. Is it so? That's so you... funny. Yeah, that that that's funny to think about. I actually didn't say I was a drug dealer myself. I said my friend was a drug dealer. In that I happened to be in China, and I needed to to see the lab to see if it met our quality standards, and if it did, 
then I would tell my friend to, to make a big order from this lab. So it was uh, an even more elaborate ruse. But, and you know, this, <laughs> this did chemist, you, I talk all about it in, uh, in my book, Fentanyl Inc. But this chemist, um, he spent the morning basically trying to vet me and didn't really seem to believe me at first, but he had a financial incentive to believe what I was saying. And so eventually he came around and showed me the lab and the whole thing. So did you, when you approach somebody like that, um, I'm assuming it wasn't that hard to find the lab or to figure out where they were. Like, did you know where to go before you went over to China or was it, I'm going to show up in China, start knocking on doors? It, I had these contacts and um, the, with these salespeople and these lab owners and they, some lab addresses are on the internet, but a lot of them are fake. And um so I had to meet with this guy and he had to, to show me where it was and take me out there. Um, it was, uh, you know, they have a lot of Western customers and the, the average person they're selling to is probably not all that different than someone who might look like me. That's a, that's a fair point too. I guess when you're there, I mean, is there ever any sense of danger other than accidentally inhaling it if you're on site right if, if, it's, if the product's there but did you ever feel like you're in danger or did it feel much like a business transaction would it did feel dangerous at at some points the the guy i met with had this kind of bodyguard who who drove us around and i worried he was gonna take out a lead pipe or something if he uh, found out i was a journalist um but it's not the same as the mexican cartels you know they don't in China, there's very strict gun control, so even the police often don't have guns. And and these uh, these drug enterprises do operate like businesses. I found, and even some of them receive government subsidies. So it's 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 a very sort of nefarious situation going on. And you you asked about Mexico. Yeah. Um, China supplies Mexico, the Mexican cartels, with all of their fentanyl, their fentanyl ingredients. And then that's shipped up through the border and um, that's how it gets distributed in the U.S. So what what gets rid of this? I mean, how, did, how do you get, you can't, it doesn't seem like a faucet that can be turned off. Yeah, it's certainly not. And we've put a lot of pressure on China. You know, Trump has really railed against China and made it, made the fentanyl issue part of the trade war. And We've gotten China to agree to some concessions. They finally banned these different types of fentanyl called analogs. But ultimately, China makes the point, and it's a decent point, that we have the problem with supply over here. And we, you know, this was started, like I said, by these pharmaceutical companies. And so ultimately, we can't control what other countries are going to do. If, even if China does control this trade, it will likely move to a country like India. And so ultimately we can only try to fix our own problem. And so I advocate for a lot of reforms that are known as harm reduction. Yeah. And harm reduction is a philosophy that people are always gonna do drugs, whether you like it or not. And so we should try to help them do drugs in the safest possible way. And we should make drug treatment paramount instead of incarceration and um in the u.s we've had a really hard time 
implementing these changes that I think would really save a lot of lives. Well, it's it's strange, isn't it? Whenever you start looking into some of these policies and and people that rail against them, uh, in in regards to something that you're talking about, right? What you're talking about sounds like a long-term solution, whereas imprisoning people and and <laughs> slapping their hand and ruining their lives uh, and then setting them loose to just go screw up again. I mean, somebody's profiting off of that. I mean, do you? I'm just there's just so many layers to this and and how you solve it in regards to the plan that you're talking about which seems quite reasonable and has worked in other countries what's mm -hmm. the first step I'm mean, what's the first major step that someone can that's listening to this can go out and say hey do you do you write your senator I mean is it is it that mm -hmm. do you go out do you get involved in more advocacy programs I mean how do we take that next step well, I think, for one thing, if there are drug users who are listening, the the way you can keep yourself safe and people around you is, A, you can have uh, a Narcan available, which is the miracle opioid overdose reversal drug. It's like a nasal spray. So if someone overdoses from fentanyl or another opioid, their life can literally be saved through this. But we But we need more funding for it on a on a you know state and national level the good news is st louis county has started giving out free narcan um so if at at, at certain health centers so mm -hmm. that's a good step in the right direction but also the problem with fentanyl is that it could be in any drug that's a pill or a powder it's probably not going to be in actual marijuana if you can smell the buds and and see them and it looks like regular marijuana but any powder or pill that you get at a party could have marijuana. And so they sell these drug checking kits that can test your drugs to see if marijuana, uh, to see if fentanyl is in it. And these kits are very cheap. You can buy them from a company on the web called Bunk Police, for example. And not only should people who are using drugs themselves have these drug checking kits available, but we need to make those more accessible and cheaper. And that's another example of a harm reduction measure that politicians should support. Is marijuana legalization helping the, I guess the issue some, I mean, has to be a positive and when directly speaking of fentanyl. Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, um, I think the move towards decriminalization and legalization is good for society generally. Mm -hmm. um, we're, we're now finding problems with marijuana, like with vaping and these sort of, uh, uh, these adulterants that are in there that are killing people um, who are trying to vape marijuana in some cases with these black market vape cartridges. Um, I, I'd say it's a net positive overall, but there's all these new problems. Um, I think decriminalization though is coming even for things like psychedelics and opioids and undoubtedly there's going to be a lot of issues with it but i think it's where we need to go it does too and you see i've seen um i feel like a few state reps recently kind of touting you know that they're bringing bills to <laughs> to punish criminals more harshly and it's like haven't we tried this like it doesn't seem like this yeah is 
doing work. And I understand that impulse, you know. I understand the impulse. When the, the crisis is getting worse and worse in Missouri, fentanyl is killing more and more people every year. Um, I understand, you know, politicians are elected to do something, and this is what they think is something. But but you're right. The, the war on drugs has been failing spectacularly since the 1970s. So uh, it's time to try something else. Where's the best place to get your book? Uh, yeah, you can anywhere on the internet or anywhere you buy books, subterranean books, uh, left bank, anywhere should have it. So I love it, man. Well, in regards to this, just a few more questions and I'll get you out of here, man. Uh, it, you, you're no stranger to, I guess, controversial topics or anything like this. And any, do you think you'll cover a topic that's as widespread dangerous as this ever again? You're, you're real, you, you've got several books left in you. I would, I would assume, uh -huh. and lots of writing left. Um, in regards, it's just, it's so strange being in the moment for this stuff, right? Like you wrote this whole book, all this research embedded, all these crazy things happening with it. Do you think you personally will cover a topic as, I don't know, as dangerous as this ever again in your career? I, I don't think so. I mean, because fentanyl and, and drug overdoses are killing more people now than car accidents or gun violence you know, more than the height of the AIDS crisis. These are, and, and what's, what kind of bugs me is that no one's much talking about it. You know, like the Democrat presidential debates, for example, mm -hmm. um, it's barely touched on. They might say that a little bit about the opioid crisis, but the word fentanyl is almost never mentioned. And I, you know, I'm trying to help spread awareness and because everybody, you know, knows someone who's been touched by this and, uh, it's time to really put it on the front burner. Well, I, I applaud your work and I'm excited to read the full book. I know uh, I've enjoyed all the interviews I've heard with you too, and I've certainly enjoyed today. Guys, go out, purchase the book. Again, Fentanyl Inc. and uh, and support uh, Mike. I, I, I can't, it, it's crazy. I'm still processing everything you just said. So <laughs> I'm a little bit, uh, I don't know. It's, I'm, I'm losing it's, it's tough to kind of come around on it. I haven't even lost anybody directly. I know of people, but just the topic in itself seems to be insanity. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it really is. It's no one saw it coming and now it's here and we're trying to figure out what to do. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to reading the entire book again. Guys, get it. Fentanyl Inc. Uh, come also, back on um, time, Ben. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And I wanted to plug, I'm speaking at uh, NCADA tonight um, at about 6 p.m. It's in Olivet. It's uh, the National Council on Alcohol and Drug Awareness. I might have gotten that wrong, but I'm doing a presentation. It'll be about my trip to China into these labs. I have photos from that. And uh, if you uh, are around tonight, uh, 6 p.m. at NCADA. We'll be able we'll share that on social media and everything too. blast that out and let people know that you're going to be there. And if you have anything else going on, man, would love to support it. So don't be a stranger. Okay. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, Chris. Absolutely. <laughs> Get the book fentanyl Inc guys. Thanks so much, Ben. Okay. Take care.